Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is a replay episode with the excellent Candice Brathwaite. This is actually one of my favourite episodes that I recorded last year, so really happy to repost it on the podcast for you guys to listen to again or for the first time. Candice is a Sunday Times bestselling author of I Am Not Your Baby Mother, which is an urgent part memoir, part manifesto about black British motherhood and was super successful and a really incredible book. Her second book is out now called Sister Sister. It was described by Cosmopolitan as like the older sibling you wish you had growing up, which sums up so much. Candice's writing is philosophical and wise and inspirational and both her books are really well worth a read. I absolutely love her work and I was lucky enough to interview her recently live at the South Bank Centre which was a really incredible evening and I just absolutely loved it. It was sort of post-lockdown and everyone was back out again and yeah the atmosphere was electric. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It was definitely worth a repost and a re-listen. So here it is and I hope you enjoy it. Well, congratulations on your book. Honestly, it is phenomenal. I learned so much in it. And I also, I read it so quickly and it was, it was a joy to read. Obviously, it was very difficult to read in places, Mm. but it's such a great book. I just wanted to say that. Congratulations. Thank you. I've got this really, I'm a bit woo woo. And I've got this girl who does like tarot readings for me. She's been. Oh, me too, me too. I love that stuff. We've been friends since we we were like 15. And in the middle of writing it, I just, the imposter syndrome hit me so bad. I was like, babe, I just don't feel like I'm being as eloquent as I know I can be. I don't feel like it's smart enough. And she was like, just write it in the plainest way possible because it's in that act that you'll get the biggest message across and so Mm. when I'm getting messages now where people have like read it in three hours but even though they've read it in three hours they're telling me that what they've read is going to stick with them for a lifetime and so I'm kind of like I'm quite proud of that because there are books that I've read that include the same kind of themes, race, class, all of that. And sometimes the book is so well written and so highbrow. I spend more time like putting down the book to go and work out what the person has told me than taking the message in. And Mm -hmm. those books are needed, but I also think there was space to have a more plainer speaking book. I feel like this one's really direct. It really is. The way that you you kind of hop between modern references and almost like making jokes, but then suddenly you're kind of catapulted into like a very dark history lesson as well. Mm. And I thought that was very, very powerful. Um, even the bit where you're sort of joking about wanting to name uh, your son Brixton, <laughs> is it? Yeah. And then you're like, it, the joke about Gwyneth Paltrow, but then suddenly I'm got a lump in my throat hearing about the history of what names mean Mm. and that's what I wanted I wanted it to be light and and for those light moments to frame those darker moments because life is dark enough as it is and so that's not to say that those harder moments shouldn't have been in the book but I didn't just want it to be a book that made you feel bad uh you know I wanted you to put it down and be like I've learned a lot and I feel okay okay enough to take my learnings into the real world and I understand that even though the reader I had in mind is like a 16 year old black girl I'm really aware of writing under the white gaze I'm really aware that the bulk of the people that engage with my work are white and so 
I constantly had to try and consider every kind of reader. That was quite difficult, actually. And the the name of the book, I'm Not Your Baby Mother, is you open the book kind of talking about how you weren't always sure you wanted children. Mm. And it's interesting because I've heard lots of people talk about why maybe they're not open to having children, but this was very much from a different perspective and a different cultural reference point. Mm. And it was really, really interesting hearing all about your own reservations based on your family and everything that you kind of absorbed from a child. Yeah, yeah. And what's so funny is, even though this book has my name on it, I feel like any black woman who grew up in South London has a similar kind of story as you know as young as 11 I was helping to raise my siblings and that had such a profound negative effect on me as soon as I was old enough I thought kids no Christ I've missed art lessons for these kids these kids that aren't even mine I've had to like run home from school and help my mum with a newborn because she's struggling with mental health and I wanted to start the book like that because also I think people look at like this whole motherhood space especially online and think that everyone has really wanted to be a mum and no I I don't think everyone arrives at motherhood if they do in that way and for me I didn't want kids to start with and so I don't want to spoil it for everyone but that's why the book begins with certain stories Mm. And it all starts to really unravel and really make sense when you hear your own stories of your own birth story even was just, yeah. you know, I, I felt like I was really there, like in the hospital with you. That birth story, it's a bit weird because I feel like I've told that birth story on podcasts or in birth spaces a thousand times. But the data surrounding the negative outcomes for black British women only came to light, say, back end of 2018. So black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth in the UK today. And so all of me and my black girlfriends who have kids, Jesus, we, you know, sometimes we, we could gather around the campfire and do like that. Are you afraid of the dark program with the story? stories we have it felt as as bored as I was of telling that story it had to go in there to help highlight how it's just so different for a black woman who decides to give birth even in 2020 this is the first book about black British motherhood backed by a major house mm-hmm. like uh, that just blows me away but it doesn't surprise me because when I had my first born and that was almost seven years ago I had to get all of my material from African-American writers if I wanted to connect with them on the idea of motherhood there was just nothing in the UK market that centred a a black British motherhood voice but I also really want to be careful because I'm just one of one I cannot speak for every black mother there are going to be black women who read this book and toss it out the window because they're going to be like I actually don't connect with any of what she's saying and so it's like what I was saying on Instagram you know we have to look for a range of voices and I just hope now that the consciousness of Black Lives Matter is so loud and so in people's faces that companies and businesses and publishing all work really hard to make sure that stories like this are the norm. They can't just be one of one. Like, it's so sad. Absolutely. It's like if we have a hundred, definitely more books written by white mothers, you know, there needs to be that many written black. by black British mothers. Completely, exactly. And so I'm just nervously like knocking on the door, but um, the hope is that 
there are so many women just behind me and I I want their voices to be kept in high regard. That's the hope anyway. Yeah. I've also been thinking a lot about how we can really just um, be very aware of people's mental health at the moment. And you have a really amazing chapter in your book about mental health. And I read somewhere today about um, a, a psychologist had said that basically every time the news kind of uproars like it is right now, there's a lot of people being very, very triggered and lots of trauma and like PTSD mm. can come back to people. And I'm just trying to like make sure that people are aware of that, that this isn't just something that people can just talk endlessly about. Like it's it has real ramifications on people's mental health. Yeah, completely. And I had therapy yesterday and I really had to make space for how um, desensitised I've become. Not just because I feel like we see a public lynching like George Floyd all the time, but also because it's been part of my work and daily practice for years. And so there are no boundaries with that for me. It's like, okay, fighting for equality and trying to fight against injustice is just intrinsically part of my DNA. And I have to work really hard to say now, even with a growing platform, I'm just gonna talk about Gucci shoes today. And if you really support black voices, you will join me because I can't, and I and I think so many activists who were tagged and mentioned feel that pressure right now. And it's about trying to remind people that to protect our mental health, please allow us to talk about different things. Please celebrate us appearing vacuous because that's the only way we're gonna feel like we can get some time off. Absolutely. And I really loved that thread. I know that you shared it as well by um, Pua Nabel, who was like talking about columnists and how white columnists can write about whether they got a dog or what shoes they're wearing. <laughs> Whereas why why are people suddenly only allowed to talk about race? I, it's very strange. This is it. And the amount of things I've been called to write on in the last two days. And I'm like, of course, though, it's all about race. And I'm like, I just have such a stellar shoe collection. Like, when are you guys going to just <laughs> let me run free in the fashion world? I'm tired of this. And I just hope that the black creators and journalists being called upon now are remembered when things are trivial or appear to be trivial or are lighthearted because we've got other stuff to talk about too. And I think we're not being allowed to grow into our true talent because we are always in this tiny margin. Like you talk about race, maybe if you're lucky, you talk about sexism, but that's where you stay. And it's like, like you said, I can pick up any magazine and every single article is by a white woman and it just feels unfair i know whenever you're doing your instagram live sometimes i'm just i i, I do look at your bag collection a lot i've got to say <laughs> in the background i'm like that is gold seriously <laughs> but i i wanted to talk to you a little bit about the the self-love aspect of things because and I know that sounds really cheesy I don't mean it to but I really do find your content and Instagram feed like very very inspiring from the place of I feel like you're someone that really respects yourself and in your mm. acknowledgements I got really teared up when um you you thank many people in the acknowledgements but you also thank yourself mm. for believing in yourself and 
I don't know. I just wanted to ask you about that. Like, that is a good place to get to for for everyone. You know, you've almost made me tear up. My manager called me last night. She was just in floods of tears and she... Look, I'm crying now. She was oh, like, sorry. <laughs> and, and anyone that's listening, you need to read the acknowledgements because we can't read them now. We'll both start crying. She was like, you've created this brand. You've become this person with absolutely no help. None. Not a silver spoon, no money, no connected parents, not down with the kids, not in the cool club. And she was like, I'm so grateful to work with you, but I need you to always remember that you should be grateful to work with you because it takes a special kind of power to get to this place. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, but Emma, it's taken me years to get here. Honestly, I don't think I really arrived till say maybe the beginning of this year. I just felt like I could stand on my own and I could create work that could go into the world without the support of people who I deemed as gatekeepers. And that's a really big thing to say, especially as like a black creator. I think so many of us sit at home and think, oh, well, I've got to connect with this person and I have to do that for my work to be seen. And no, you know, I need people, black people, but especially women of all races to understand that most of why where you are is because you just didn't quit Mm -hmm. and if I don't get to see you celebrate that publicly I might forget that and I wanted those acknowledgements to like inspire women to be like actually I really have pulled it out the bag here and I don't give myself enough thanks yes you really have I think what makes it really emotional as well is you read the whole book before you obviously read the end acknowledgements and Mm. we all know those moments where you didn't have any money you write really honestly about money for example so seeing you take up space and really enjoy what you have it's quite contagious yeah yeah and that's what I want I want women again of all races to come to my page and and admit they like the nice things in life I feel like I hate the idea that we should be embarrassed about liking a luxury item or a certain candle or eating at a certain place. You are intrinsically worthy of all the best things in life. And the minute you start to think that you can't even say that out loud, I feel like energetically you really cut yourself off from those things. Mm-hmm. And so I know how powerful it is to see a black woman at that come online and be like, I, I'm just saving up for a new Chanel bag because I know there are there are even white women who in some ways have far more privilege than me on the outside, have not yet accessed that level of privilege on the inside. And so they think really small inside. And I get so many messages when I talk about something like that where women are like, oh my God, you've inspired me to just like say, I like the good stuff in life. Yeah, say it say it because you know the Elon Musks and the Jeffs of the world they're not quiet about what they like or what they desire or even they make it a requirement but here we are like always like almost whispering about our dreams like I don't whisper my dreams anymore like I'm really loud about them I love that do you have 
like a vision board or anything. So I think I've seen you speak about manifesting and, you know, having a vision <laughs> yeah. for yourself on the woo-woo side of things. Yeah. I've got a vision board. I've got crystals. I use sage. <laughs> I've even got, um, at the top of the year, I have old checkbooks and I write physical checks to myself. I make an, an aim for like a yearly income and then I break the checks down into how I expect that money to come into my life. And I carry those checks in my purse until the end of the year. And I've only been doing that since 2017. But since doing that every single year, I've made more money than I've expected to. That's incredible. Yes. But yeah, on that note, on the fashion side of things as well, I've really realized through lockdown wearing something nice when you're feeling really terrible it's not even that it's not a shallow thing it actually changes your mood completely when I had to like I've oh gosh it's so bad though I wore acrylic nails for like 15 years and so like six weeks into this jam I was like oh my god they do have to come off I was so depressed I was so depressed and then it took me about I couldn't get my gel nails off for ages (laughs) and it was like I felt trapped (laughs) and then it took me like three weeks to work out like oh you can buy an at-home gel nail kit and now I feel better but it's okay for women to admit also that putting some makeup on and putting on even halfway decent clothes to just go downstairs is helping you get through this moment this is so Mm. strange it's so strange and if you don't try and find moments of normal in it I think it could be really damaging to your mental health totally I know thank you for bringing your colorful dresses to us during this time (laughs) Uh, but I I also wanted to mention your the brilliant piece in the telegraph and the headline was nobody will will be calling me a mummy blogger after this Mm. which I know magazines love a headline but I thought it was really cool but how do you feel like the that space has changed over time I know you mentioned that you feel like only this year in a way you've been able to kind of do the Instagram thing the way you've wanted to Yeah. Do you know what? How has that space changed? It's weird. I feel like I can't even comment on it from an insider perspective anymore because I genuinely feel like I'm not in that space. Mm. I know I have kids. So when brands come to work with me, my children are normally part of the package. But aside from that, I remember going to an event in 2019. Yeah, it must have been early 2019, February 2019. And the event was actually hosted by at the time the largest mummy blogger in the UK who many might not know turned out to be a troll at the back end of 2019 and I went with my mum and I remember saying to another woman that was there we were just talking about our jobs in general and I was I said really flippantly I was like you know what I was like by 2020 no one's going to call me a mummy blogger I was like I just don't think I'll be part of this scene and she was so shocked she was like really 2020 that's so soon But I just knew because... I'm a bit different. Like I always saw the parenting influencer space as a business opportunity. I didn't come here to make friends or to be validated by the things that come alongside building an online brand. I just, when I had my job in marketing at Penguin, I was just noticing there was a huge gap in the market. And I thought, right, I'm going to go into that space and try and fill it. And hopefully I will make enough money so that I can raise my kids and be a businesswoman and I think attacking it in that way has meant that I always had to have an end date and 
you know, I'm not sad about that. I'm actually really proud about that. And I feel like I've delivered a piece of work that just puts me outside of that market, if I'm honest. Yeah, 100%. I... I feel like the label and I've had it in the past where I'm like I've written like four books now and people are like oh you're a social media influencer and uh, I'm like um uh, am, am I? <laughs> I like I I like Instagram <laughs> but it's it's a weird one where actually all it is is a platform and then you do what you want with that platform mm-hmm. and so it's such an exciting time for so many people this is it and it's like and that's so annoying like four books at what point are you just gonna call me an author like you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> how long will it take What's i'll it be 85 <laughs> like and and it's exactly that we this instagram platform is great but i am obsessed emma obsessed with creating work so that if if this app goes to pop I'm fine you know where to find my work outside of this app that I can't control and I feel really sorry for the people who get so um, riled up by the likes and the engagement that they forget to create work that doesn't belong to this beast because I'm like dude don't do that like do you have an email list where's your actual blog where's the stuff that you own because we don't own these squares we're renting them and at any moment we can get kicked out where are you going to send the platform that you've built it's it's really worrying when I don't see people think about it like that totally yeah you're spot on and from that business perspective I know that you do a lot behind the scenes as well don't you so it's not it's not even about the squares a lot of it like there's so much work that everyone is doing behind the scenes well especially you yeah this is it I my the holiday before lockdown we were in Barbados and I was working with a brand to help consult so I wasn't going to be part of this advert but they were using my other platform Make Motherhood Diverse to find a wide range of parents and literally on the beach in Barbados I am screaming at people for better wi-fi because I'm trying to pay people whilst I'm on holiday Mm. I'm like right the money's come through and I'm really conscious that some of the women and people that have been chosen are really depending on this cash yes I know I'm on holiday and like my family were looking at me like I was crazy but I was like no I've been there I've been waiting for an invoice I've been looking at the gas meter just pay praying someone pays me on time and so now I'm the person that helps get people paid. And that is, it's quite an overwhelming feeling sometimes, but that's the stuff that Instagram never sees, ever. Totally. And I've been thinking a lot during this week about what people can do and, you know, especially white people at this time. And it seems like there is a lot going on online, which is great. And I feel like the movements, of course, sometimes are so helped by social media, but so much of it is like, what are you doing in your Mm -hmm. office, in your meeting rooms? Mm -hmm. Are you paying people on time? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what does your life actually look like? This is it. Like, are you advocating for people? Are you making sure that before you turn up to a set of an advert or whatever, are you making sure that there's going to be a wide range of people on set so that we're not having these moments again and again and again of a completely whitewashed advert and everyone just going, oh my gosh, I just don't know how that happened. Like, read the room taste the atmosphere try and bring other people on board and bring them on board especially people of other races bring them on board knowing that we can never take from what white supremacy has 
we cannot take from it. So even if you invited 10 of us, it will be centuries until we are all starting from the same point. Mm -hmm. You offering space at your table doesn't take away from the abundance that white supremacy offers. It doesn't Mm -hmm. because there is so much of it. And when we really get into the history of it, none of it was actually belonging to white supremacy in the first place. So, yeah, it's really deep and it's really heavy. But on a on a basic level, I just want people to go out into the world and constantly read the room. Yeah, I really hope that you know, that we actually see that this wasn't just something that trended online. Like it mm. really has to change. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today, especially as you've just been like on your book tour <laughs> craziness. But um, I wanted to kind of end on a bit more of a, I don't know, a self-care kind of note. Once your book tour is sort of not as intense, how are you switching off after all of this? Do you have anything <gasps> that keeps I- you sane? I love to cycle and I've not been able to cycle for three months because I tore two tendons in my tit. Oh. <laughs> um, so I can't wait to cycle again. And then my uh, manager and I are thinking about doing like a family, two family holidays to Cornwall because we doubt we can fly anywhere. And we're just going to take the kids and try and have somewhat of a summer holiday. So that is like, I'm just like, just get to August, just get to August because I desperately need time off, but I know it can't be now. And not just for the sake of the book, but for the sake of the current conversation, I'm like, yeah, you you don't get to have time off just yet, but I'm I'm focused on it. Well, you're definitely going to deserve that trip to Cornwall in August though. (laughs) Mate. Well, thank you so, so much again. And, um, anyone listening you need to buy your copy i am not your baby mother thank you so so much um for your time and yeah i will continue following everything you do oh, Emma, <laughs> thank you for having me this has been amazing thank you thank you 